you get your Bible and open it up with me uh, to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to start in 2 and kind of bleed over into chapter 3 uh, this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one at your seat. So we want everybody with an open Bible uh, ready to hear uh, from the Lord. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I, I was talking with a friend of mine this last week and he was telling me that he went to the gym and they did something new. They had this thing called a Sika scan. And uh, he, he, he got this scan. I said, well, what are, you, what are you talking about? He said, well, you kind of step into it. And it measures the electrical impulses in your body. And it can tell where there are places that need improvement. Okay. So he said, like, yeah, it'll show you, like, where you maybe need to lose a few pounds. It'll show you where maybe your muscle strength is not optimal like it should be. And so you get this report back. Of, of assessing your body composition. And then uh, you, you go to the trainer and the trainer takes this information and they kind of build out a customized plan to get you to optimal health. And I thought, well, that's, that's pretty cool. You know, that's pretty great. You got an actual plan of what you're working on. And then my preacher brain started going. And, and I thought, you know, how cool would it be if we could just kind of do a little scan on you, right? And, and, and try to evaluate your, your spiritual health. You know, what if we could just kind of, you step into the scan and uh, it kind of, whoop, you know, kind of does whatever it does. I'm not sure if it made that noise, but I kind of see it that way. And, uh, and then, then it kind of spits out, well, here's some things that definitely need to go. Okay, here's a, here's a few areas that need to, need to change. And then here's some areas that you could grow on, that you could develop in, some, some competencies, maybe some practices, some habits habits that will really help you grow spiritually. Wouldn't that be awesome if you could have a spiritual scan? Don't y'all think that would be awesome? Y'all aren't as excited about it as I am. Y'all excited about that? Well, well, First uh, Corinthians chapter 2 is that scan, okay? Today you're going to step into the scanner and the, uh, the apostle Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthians and he's going to evaluate them and consequently evaluate us and begin to categorize uh, us into three different groups, okay? Just like they're different body types. They're three different stages of spiritual health. And you are in one of these stages, okay? You're in one of these stages. So as we go through these three categories, I want you to be thinking about what stage are you in. And we're going to talk at the end of it about what to do moving forward, depending on what stage you're in. But you know what? When I was kind of putting this together, I was thinking, what I'm going to say is, I want you to really evaluate yourself, but I don't really want you to evaluate yourself today, okay? Because if I evaluate myself, I'm always going to evaluate myself what? Higher than probably what I think I am. I'm like, yeah, I'm in good shape, you know, not, all right? Same thing spiritually. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm good. You know, I'm, I'm, in the, I'm in the top category when you may not be. So here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to pray, Lord by your spirit, you evaluate me. You evaluate my heart. God, you know me better than I know me. God, you know where I, what I need to change. You know where I need to grow. You know where I am spiritually. Spirit of God, would you evaluate me and reveal to me where I am? All right, would you pray that? In fact, let's just stop right now and pray that together. Just bow your head with me. Lord, we just come to you today and we open up your word. And Spirit of God, we ask you that you do your evaluating work in us. And Lord, reveal to us the areas that need to change, God, so that we can truly be more and more like Jesus. 
And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And we're going to be kind of all over this chapter, okay? So I'm going to be bouncing around just, you're going to have to stay with me, all right? Stay with me. But I'm going to give you these three categories. Category number one, write this down if you're taking notes. We're a note-taking church, folks. So take your notes. We take them down so we remember them and we can reflect on during the week. Number one category is what we call the spiritually dead. The spiritually dead. Look down at verse 14. He said, but the person without the spirit does not receive what comes from God's spirit because it's foolishness to him. He is not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. Now, stop right here. This spiritually dead, this is a person that's far from God. Uh, The apostle Paul says he is without the spirit. The old King James version says he is the natural man. The, the Greek word is, is psychikos, which we get the word psyche from or psychology from. It means that which is of the natural order, that which is uh, tangible, that which is physical, right, as opposed to supernatural. So what do we know about this natural man, this spiritually dead person? What do we know about them? Let me give you a couple of things you can jot down. One is this person is born into this world. This person is born under this world. They are born physically. You say, okay, great. That's Captain Obvious. Everyone's born physically. How, hang on though. They're born physically, but they're not born spiritually. They're born physically, but they don't have spiritual life in them. A companion verse is Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. It says, for you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of the world. According to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. This, per, this person is walking in the ways of the world as opposed to walking in the ways of God. See the difference? So they don't have spiritual life. Jesus was talking about this with a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a very spiritual person. He was a very academic person. He was very religious. And yet when Jesus looked at him and evaluated him, he evaluated that he was spiritually dead. In fact, Jesus said to him, he said, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It's not enough to be born physically, you have to be born spiritually. Now Jesus uses that term born spiritually or born again or born of heaven, meaning uh, to have an encounter with God that brings spiritual life into you. In fact, Jesus goes on to say that there are, there are different, you can, be, you can be born twice and only die once. You can be born physically and then born spiritually by giving your life to Christ. And then when you die, you only die physically. Your spirit goes immediately to be with God. Isn't that a wonderful thing? But he said, you can also be born once. And if that's the case, you will die twice. You'll have a physical birth, no spiritual birth. And then you will die physically, but you also die spiritually. And that's a reference to divine judgment. And so this person, right off the bat, the Apostle Paul is talking about, is a person who does not have spiritual life. They've only been born physically in this world. Another thing we know about him is this person only receives what is from the world. Look at verse 14. He does not receive what comes from God's Spirit. He only receives what's from the world. He, he only embraces the world's values. 
and what the world thinks and the world's philosophy. He may have some concept of a higher power, but he has no concept of a personal God that will hold him accountable. He only receives what's from the world, of this natural world order. This is the philosophy that we have today. And that is what we call naturalism. Naturalism is what is behind the driving force of our culture today. Naturalism. And in the naturalist worldview, there's a sense that there's no God that created us. I just evolved, right? I've just evolved over millions of years and I'm just a part of the natural order of evolution. There is no creator of God. There's no one born in the image of God. There's no image bearer, right? I'm just a created, I, I'm just a evolved being, not a created being. And because of that, life really doesn't matter that much. Because after all, we all just kind of come out of primordial soup and we're just, we're just all evolved. And so it doesn't, life really doesn't matter. And especially life in the womb or especially life that's elderly. Those don't matter that much. And so consequently, morally, I am the arbiter of what is moral and what is right and what is good. I determine what is good, I determine what is right, I determine what is acceptable and what is unacceptable. I'm not accountable to anyone, only to myself. And my driving force is that I would be happy. My own happiness, my own satisfaction is my only driving force, my only North Star. And in the natural worldview, ultimately, there is no sense of destiny. There is no heaven. There is no hell. There is no accountability. There is no standing before God. I just die and I'm food for worms, okay? And life is over. So because of that, I got to get what I'm going to get now. Everything is in the now. Everything is what I want and what I get now. I got to have it now. See, that's the natural worldview. That is the spirit of the age, what the old German theologians called the zeitgeist, the spirit of the age. That is the philosophy that's driving our culture. And, and this person here that's spiritually dead, that's how they buy into it. That's, why, that, that's what drives them. What, that is what's behind uh, their thinking. They do not receive that which is from God, only what is from this world. And then the third thing we know about this person is that they only understand what is of the world. Look at verse 14. He does not, he is not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. He's not able to understand the gospel because it takes spiritual discernment and he doesn't have it. So you can be sharing the gospel with this person and they're like, okay, you know, so what? It's not that they don't understand it intellectually. They can understand what you're saying. There's a God and, and we sin against God and Jesus came, died on a cross, rose again. They can understand it intellectually, but they, they are unmoved by it. They, they don't see it. They don't understand why you see it. <laughs> why is that such a big deal to you? They just they cannot perceive it because only God's spirit can reveal this to you. Think about it this way. I have a sister who uh, was born deaf. And my sister has you know, never heard anything with her ears. I imagine if I was trying to describe to her a symphony. And I wanted her to really try to, I, I'm tr trying to get it, what, what, what a symphony is about. So I take her to the symphony. And she sits there and she sees them playing the instruments. And she can even look at the sheet music and see all the notes. And she can even look at the crowd and see people just, just soaking up. And maybe she can feel some of the vibrations. But she can never fully appreciate or desire or love the music that is there. Because she can't hear now, the same way it is with this spiritually dead person. You can share the gospel and oh, Christ has changed your life. And they're just, they are unable to receive it 
because it is spiritually discerned and only the Holy Spirit can reveal it to them. This is the person in, in verse 14, the spiritually dead person. Now, now listen, there are spiritually dead people in churches every Sunday, right? There are spiritually dead people probably in this room right now that, that uh, you, you see other people move, you hear about the gospel, you, you know, you've heard about this, you see, you kind of like that symphony, you can see people moved by it in worship, but you're like, I don't really get it. You know, I said, you know, I'm, I mean, that's good for you. It's your truth, my truth, that kind of thing. But you're, you're, you don't re, you're not moved by it because you're not spiritually alive. There are also people like this that are very hostile to the gospel. They see the gospel as, as, uh, as hateful and imperialistic and unloving and, and oppressive. And so they resist and oppose and demonize the gospel. Uh, but here's the deal. All of us started in this first part. All of us were at one point spiritually dead. Right. Every, every single follower of Jesus was at one point spiritually dead. That's how we're born. We're born physically, but we have to be born again spiritually. And if you are in this category, if maybe even right now, uh, you, are, you are sensing that that is your state, uh, then I want you to stay with me because at the end of this talk, I'm going to tell you what you can do about it, right? But the first category, he's, he's scanning us. The first category is, is a spiritually dead person. The other category that he describes in chapter 2 is a spiritually growing person, all right? And, and this is great. This is a spiritually growing person. Look at verse 10. And now God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit, since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows the person's thoughts except his spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. Now, this is a person that has uh, the spirit of God within it. What do we know about him? Well, this person has received what God has revealed to him. He has received it. Look at verse 10. God has revealed these things to us. Well, what has he revealed? He's revealed the gospel to us. It's like, at one point I was like this, I can't see it, I can't see it, I can't see it. Then all of a sudden, uh, the Holy Spirit just lifted that veil and was like, wow, I can see. I, I see what you mean. I understand who Christ is. I understand what he did for me. I understand my sin and my need for Christ. All of a sudden, I couldn't, now I can. I, I, and I see it and I receive it. The Spirit of God reveals it to me and I respond to it in saving faith. He gives an illustration here. No one really knows your own thoughts uh, unless you communicate it to them, right? You, a man, you, you know your own thoughts, uh, but no one can know it unless you can communicate it. And he said the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God who reveals it and communicates it to us. Now, this is the work of the Holy Spirit to reveal God's truth to us. Well, how does he do that? How does the Holy Spirit reveal truth to us? Well, I would say primarily he does it through conviction, through conviction. In fact, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. He convicts us. Uh, in fact, John 16, 8 says, when he comes, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. It's like, man, I, all of a sudden I hear the preacher and I, I've been falling asleep, you know, in the sermons most of the time, but, but this one Sunday I wasn't. And all of a sudden, man, I just, all of a sudden I realize what he's saying is true about me. 
And I have the sense of my own sinfulness and my own need for the gospel. And, and this urgency wells up within me. That is conviction. That's what happened at Pentecost. Remember when Peter was preaching? Uh, the apostle Peter was preaching to a large crowd at a big festival in Jerusalem. And all the people were there. And he stood up and he preached the gospel about Jesus. And at the end of his message, the people said this. When we heard this, they, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? <laughs> That's a great, great picture of conviction. It's like all of a sudden they're hearing and they realize their sin and they're like, what do we do about it? I got to do something about this. Now that's, that's Holy Spirit conviction. And that's one of the ways that the Spirit of God reveals truth to us. I remember years ago sharing the gospel with this guy. And uh, we'd meet a couple of times for breakfast. And I'm drawing everything on the napkin, you know. And I'm, I'm sharing, I'm giving him all my best illustrations to no avail, all right. He's just kind of like, okay, all right, all right, that's good. It's good for you, preacher. You know, I mean, it was just, he wasn't disrespectful, but it just was, it wasn't getting through. And uh, then I didn't meet with him for a long time. About a, about a year or so later, he calls me up. He said, I just want you to know I've given my life to Christ. I said, really? I said, well, tell me about it. He goes, well, you see, I was, I was going to this party and uh, got to this party and some things really went bad. And he said, all of a sudden, I just, I had to leave and I got in my truck, in my, the, the, in my truck and in the bed of that truck or in the, in the, in, in the side of the cab of that truck, he said, the Holy Spirit started convicting me of my sin and how far I am from God and I'm going to hell because of my sin and I deserve it. And he said, all of a sudden, all those things you share with me came flooding back to me. And he said, I cried out to God for forgiveness. And he said, I was really changed in the cab of that truck. Now listen, how do you explain that? Because the Holy Spirit revealed himself to that man. He changed him on the inside. Now listen, has the Holy Spirit done that to you? Have you received what the Holy Spirit has revealed have you had the sense of conviction and have you stepped forward in saving faith? That's the first step of, of this type of growing, vibrant Christian. They have received what the Holy Spirit has revealed. Secondly, they're really passionate about growing. Look at verse 13. He said, we also speak these things, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. Now, I want you to underline the phrase taught by the Spirit. This person is taught by the Spirit of God. Now, that's not a creepy, weird thing. It just means that they have a hunger for God, right? They're like studying the Word. They're just like into Scripture. They're like hanging on every word. They're soaking it up. They, they can't get enough. I remember when I was in college, I was growing spiritually. I just was devouring everything that somebody could give me about how to grow spiritually. And that's this person. It's just like a, uh, a young baby. When a young baby is first born, I mean, they cry. Have you noticed that? They don't care what time it is. They're going to cry. <laughs> they're going to cry in the middle of the night, man. They're going to cry in the middle of the movie. They're going to cry whenever. And, and they're just craving food, right? They just want the milk. That's what they want. That's what they're wired to have. And the same thing happens with you. When you're born again, all of a sudden you're going to start craving spiritual nourishment, Peter says in uh, 1 Peter 2, like newborn infants desire the pure milk of the word so that you may grow up into your salvation. 
Are you craving the Spirit of God? Let me ask you a very practical question. Are you in a Bible study? Are you being discipled or discipling somebody? Are you in a place where you're, somebody's stretching you spiritually? You're really digging into the Word on your own? Are you, are you mining these things out? This is a sign of a spiritually growing person. And it's evidence of the Holy Spirit's work within you. All right? Because before you didn't care. Now all of a sudden you can't get enough. The Holy Spirit's doing this work in you. Another sign of a growing Christian is this person is living for God. They're growing in their discernment and they're living uh, for God. Check this out in verse 15. He said, the spiritual person, however, can evaluate everything. And he himself cannot be evaluated by anyone. For who has known the, the Lord's mind that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Now that word evaluate there is important. It means to discern. So what he's saying here is this person is beginning to discern what's happening around him from a biblical worldview, right? All of a sudden now they've received uh, the, the spirit of God. They, it, God's revealed himself to them. They've been born again. They're now hungering after the word. And now they're starting to go, okay, man, I can see my world around me from a biblical worldview, not a naturalist worldview, but a biblical worldview that says I've been created by God. And I bear the image of God. And because of that, that life really does matter. From, from womb to the tomb, life matters. And it's important what I do with my one life. And I'm accountable to God for what I do with my one life. And that God is the arbiter of what is right and wrong. And he is the one that determines what is good and what is evil. And I got to get in line with his program, not him getting in line with mine. And ultimately, I am going to stand before God. And there is a hell and there is a heaven. And there is a moment where I... Uh, God evaluates my life. And what I do in this world matters in the next. That's the biblical worldview. And so now he's able to discern these things. And that's why he says we have the mind of Christ. It doesn't mean that we know everything. It just means that we're now starting to think like Jesus thinks. We're beginning to understand the things that Jesus was teaching us. We began to see the world the way Jesus sees it. Our hearts are broken for the things that break his heart. Our hearts are fired up about things that fires up his heart. Uh, we feel the way he feels about things. Our priorities are his priorities. All of a sudden, we have this mind. We're changing and looking more and more and more like Jesus. And, and so people are going to come up to you and go, man, you're different. You know, something different about you because, man, you were like over here. And now, whoo, you're, you're, you're talking about Jesus all the time. And you're walking with God and you're changed. Man, what is happening to you? People will see the difference. But I love what it says here. It says, um, it says he evaluates everything, but he himself cannot be evaluated by anyone. In other words, he's getting it, but nobody gets him. <laughs> nobody understands him. Man, you're just so strange, man. You're so different than what you used to be. But that's a good thing. That means that the spirit of God is changing you. By the way, the theological term for that is sanctification. That I'm growing more and more like Jesus. I've been born again. He gives me the spiritual hunger. I'm devouring the word. I'm starting to live this out. Starting to evaluate the world around me and see it the way Christ is. And to live my life to please him. 
That's what a growing, vibrant Christian should constantly be looking like. And by the way, we never reach the end. We never get to full maturity, right? We just keep pressing on and keep pressing on. And that's why the longer you live as a follower of Jesus, you should be getting more and more and more and more like Christ, right? You should be really pursuing him more and more and more till you run through the tape of your life and you step out of this world and into heaven. That's the growing Christian. So you have the spiritually dead person, you have the spiritually growing person, but then you've got this group in the middle. And I hate to tell you about them. I hate to tell you about them, but it's in the Bible. So we're going to talk about it. And that is a spiritually stagnant person. You ever seen a stagnant pond? I mean, you can see that picture right there. That just looks nasty. You don't want to get in that thing. You're going to pick up some flesh-eating amoeba or something in there. I mean, it's just nasty. I mean, it stinks. It's, there's nothing flowing into it. There's nothing flowing out of it. There's nothing healthy about it. It's just, it's just disease-ridden. Did you know that you can end up just like that spiritually? Yeah, you can be saved, but nothing new flowing in, nothing good flowing out, nothing churning or changing inside of you, and you can just become stagnant. That's what he talks about here in chapter 3, verse 1. For my part, brothers and sisters, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, but not solid food, since you were not ready for it. In fact, you are still not ready because you are still worldly. For since there is envy and strife among you, are you not worldly and behaving like mere humans? And now he's getting after him, isn't he? He's talking about these people that are saved, but they're not walking with God. Look at verse 1. They are people of the flesh. Circle that. People of the flesh. The old King James Version uses the word carnal. It's a term carnal Christian. Ever heard that term? That's where it comes from uh, right here. What do we know about these people? One is this person is spiritually immature. Paul is called the, calls them babies in Christ, right? Babies in Christ. That, that's not a t-shirt you want to wear around. Babies in Christ with a little pacifier, right? You don't want that. <laughs> I mean, I, I could just see them going, we're not babies. <laughs> He's like, yeah, yeah, you are. And I, I want to give you solid food, man. I want to give you give you some meat. I want to give you some, some theology. I want you to really understand who God is. And all I have to do is to keep giving you baby food. Just the light stuff. Just the milk. Not the solid food that will really stick to your bones spiritually and help you grow. You know, it's interesting. Let me just illustrate it this way. <clears throat> Back in, in, in that time, uh, when a mother was ready to wean her child off of milk, uh, she would she couldn't go to Walmart and get the, uh, you know, the jars of baby food, all right? Those didn't exist. So what she would do is she would eat meat or eat vegetables or eat, eat something solid, and she would chew it up in her mouth, and she would kind of get it chewed up, already starting to digest a bit, and then she'd take it out of her mouth, and she'd put it in her baby's mouth. And that's how she fed her baby, is through this kind of pre-digested food for a period of time until they grew and they could eat on their own. Whenever I uh, get ready for a Sunday, uh, I, I go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, all right? 
So we start fresh, 1 Corinthians 2. Let's read over it, read over it multiple times. Okay, what, how does it break down? What's the outline? How does it work? What does it mean? What do these uh, Greek words mean? What's the structure of it? What's the big idea? Then I'll, I'll get some application points. Here's how we apply this to our life. I'll start pulling out illustrations to try to illustrate it, try to formulate it in such a way that when it, I give it to you, it makes sense. And so I've basically been digesting this thing all week long. Are you with me? And then on Sunday, I... So what I'm telling you is, if you're just living sermon to sermon, you're just living on baby food. Are you with me? You got to get out the fork and the knife and go at it yourself. And there, how sad it is. There's, there's so many people that that's how they live. They come to church every Sunday. They just live on the message and they go on, never really open God's word again. And they stay in a constant state of spiritual immaturity. They never grow up. They never learn how to feed themselves. And so they're constantly just stagnating in a sense of spiritual maturity. Just babies in Christ needing to be fed. Instead of digging out God's word on your own. These people are spiritually immature. Here's another thing about them. They're self-focused. Right out to the margin of your Bible there, Hebrews 5.12. Hebrews 5.12. It says, although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. It's the same idea in Hebrews uh, chapter 5. He's like, man, you guys have been around long enough. You should be teaching this stuff yourself. <laughs> you don't need me. You should be teaching it yourself. Hey, let, me, let me tell you, there's some of you, man, you've been in church long enough. You should be teaching yourself. You should be investing in others. You should be teaching others. You should be leading others. And there are many times I'll come up to somebody and say, hey, man, why don't you, you should be teaching like a connect group, man. You should be, you should be teaching, a, a discipling somebody or leading by somebody to the grocery or something. You should be doing that. And, and you know what I usually get? Well, you know, I'm so busy. You have no idea how busy I am, man. And my weekends, woo, I got to, I do some work travel on the weekends and then I've got the deer lease I got to go to at least once or twice a month because I'm paying a lot of money for it. And I got the lake house. So, you know, I just, woo, I'm so busy. Or, you know, I'm, I just don't know that I, I know enough, you know. I've never been to seminary, so I don't really think that I, I know enough. Or, you know what, when I retire, uh, then I'm really going to have a lot of time. And then we're going to, we're really, yeah, I know that's important, Pastor. When we get there, or man, when my kids, finally, you know, get out of the house, you know, then I'll really, are you understanding what I'm saying here? Every one of these are excuses. Now listen to me. I'm your pastor and I love you. I always say that right before I say something hard, okay? <laughs> We're not asking you to teach because we have to have somebody. We're asking you to teach because you need it. You understand that? Because it'll force you to get after this thing. And begin to live this out. And it'll stir up in you something new. You need that. You need that. And if you keep giving excuses, then you will never grow. You'll just stagnate. And all your memories of when God was living your life will happen back then. Back then. Nothing fresh. Nothing new stirring in your heart now. Because you've stagnated. 
You're immature, you're stagnant, self-focused, he says. And then the last one is these people can, can be uh, oftentimes divisive. Paul points to evidence of their spiritual immaturity in verse 3. He said, for since there is evil and uh, envy and strife among you, are you not worldly and behaving like humans? <laughs> Man, he's like getting after them. Listen, how you handle conflict really speaks a lot about your spiritual maturity. How you handle conflict. If you push it away, if you divert, if you counterattack, you know, you stiffen up or whatever the case may be then that's a sign of spiritual immaturity. But if you are spiritually mature and walking with God, then you're able to resolve these things in a godly way, see. And he said, you're still fighting over stuff. You're still, I'm with Paul, I'm with Apollo. You're still fighting over these little petty things. And that's worldly. That's what the people in the world do. It's not what we do. And that's a sign that you stagnated spiritually. How you handle conflict says more about your spiritual growth than how many verses you memorized or how many Bible studies or sermons you preached or, or how, much, how many Bible facts you know. And so here he is, he's saying there are three, really, and if you step into the scan of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he said there are three categories of people. There are those who are spiritually dead. There are those who are spiritually growing looking more and more like Christ, and then there are those who are spiritually stagnant. I'm very afraid that most people that come to church on Sunday morning are in the third category. Just stagnant. Just the same. Nothing new coming in. Nothing fresh coming out. Just the same. So that's why I asked you at the beginning to pray that dangerous prayer, Lord Jesus, you evaluate me. I can't even evaluate myself. We're gonna get into that next week in chapter four. Paul goes, who am I? I can't even evaluate myself. The Lord evaluates me. The Lord knows what's in my heart. If you go to the back end of chapter three, he said, every one of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and he's gonna evaluate our lives and how much better for him to evaluate it now, right? So that we can course correct, then wait till it's over. So, how are you spiritually? What is your spiritual health? Listen, if you are spiritually growing, then let me just encourage you, man. Just keep growing. Keep serving. Keep worshiping. Keep staying in God's word. Keep investing in others. Keep doing it. Don't get weary. I know sometimes you go, man, I'm just, I'm in this, but I don't know if I'm making a difference. You are making more of a difference than you can possibly realize. And one day you'll be so glad to see how God used you because you just kept your eyes on Jesus moving forward. So keep going, be encouraged. You brother and sister in Christ that's growing in the Lord, be encouraged. If you are spiritually stagnant, then it's time to get in the game. If you're spiritually stagnant, this is your wake-up call. This is your kick in the rear end, so to speak, all right? This is, this is the call to, hey, let's get on it now. Let's get back in a Bible study. Let's get back in a serving. Enough with the excuses. Excuses are holding you back. Now let's move forward and let's take some real steps this year to begin to grow and move uh, like we used to when we were first born again. You can make that decision. You can make that choice. 
And then lastly, if you are spiritually dead, if you're like, man, I just don't know if I'm even right with God. I mean, I don't have a whole lot of passion for things. I don't know that I've really had that moment of conviction and change like you talked about. Then I've got some really good news. Uh, Jesus is ready, standing ready right now to give you eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And you can come to him right now. Why don't you bow your heads with me? Maybe you're here today and you say, Craig, I'm not sure that I've ever given my life to Christ, but I want to. I want to know for sure. I want to know for sure. When I walk out those doors, I want to know for sure that I'm right with God, that I've given my life to Christ, that I've changed. I want to know. And my friend, you can know. You can call on the name of the Lord right now. You can ask him to see you. You can cry out to him for his mercy and his grace. Is he convicting your heart of your sin? Is he drawing you to to himself right now? Is he giving you a sense of urgency that you must be saved? Then that's the Holy Spirit working on you. Don't quench it. Don't quench what he's doing in your life. Respond to him. If you want to receive Christ right now, God's moving in your heart. Everybody's head bowed. Nobody looking around. Just lift up your hand. Say, Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ in my life. I'll see your hand and I'll lead you right where you're seated into a prayer to receive Christ. So right now, lift up your hand. Pastor, I need Christ. I don't know for sure that I'm right with God, but I want to be right with God. Pastor, pray for me. Lift it up where I can see it. Okay, thank you. Lift up your hand. All right. Lift it up. Pastor, I need Christ in my life. I want to know for sure that I'm right with God. Okay. All right. Okay, right now. One last moment. Anybody else? Okay, you put your hand down now. Just pray with me right where you are. Dear Lord, I know I've sinned against you. I know I've gone my own way. But I believe, Jesus, you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose again from the dead. So I'm asking you now, please forgive me. Wash me clean. Make me new. I turn from my sin and my old ways. And I turn to you, Jesus. You are my only hope. Thank you for loving me. And Lord, I I want to follow you all the days of my life. I want to live to please you. Thank you, Lord, for your love for me. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, your spirit, even now, is scanning every heart in this room. Lord, your spirit is doing his work of evaluating whether we're spiritually dead, spiritually growing, or spiritually stagnant. And Lord, I pray that you would do a a new work, a fresh work in all of us, God, including myself. That God, you would stir up uh, a fresh heart for you, a fresh love and desire to follow you and obey you. And that Lord, you would use us in this one life that we have, that we would use it for your glory. Lord, help us this week to walk for you, to live for you, to glorify you. And all that we do, we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said.